gargoyles, known for being spooky, famous for being stony. Nobody thinks much about them, so let's have some fun. Let's find out why gargoyles are secretly incredibly fascinating. Welcome to a whole new podcast episode, a podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm not alone. My guests today are wonderful. I'm joined by two guests, Connor Lestoka and Patrick Wyman. Connor is a comedy writer, novelist, and podcaster. He's a senior writer-producer for Riff Tracks, which I hope you know for amazing movie-based comedy. He also co-hosts a podcast called 372 Pages We'll Never Get Back about particularly excruciating books to read. And Connor writes better novels. His newest novel is entitled The Pole Vault Championship of the Entire Universe. You may remember Connor from the episode of this show about butter. Also very excited to have a new guest, Patrick Wyman, who you may know from podcasting. He has amazing shows like Tides of History and The Fall of Rome. Just wonderful, wonderful history podcasting. And Patrick's a writer and historian as well, and I highly recommend his new book. It is entitled The Verge, Reformation, Renaissance, and 40 Years That Shook the World. Those 40 years in the title of The Verge are 1490 to 1530. And if you only know Columbus happened then, you you have a lot to find out about. And, and it's really astounding to, to know how much that time period really flipped all of world history all at once. And then Patrick does so much more. He writes wonderful articles for places like The Atlantic and Defector.com. And then he's an extra special guest because he and I played Jeopardy together. We were contestants at the same time. I was on Jeopardy in 2018. He was on it with me. And, you know, people ask me a lot of things about being on Jeopardy. and, And one of them is like, were the other contestants nice or was anybody weird? Uh, and and short answer, everybody was nice. But also, I I really hit it off with Patrick Wyman. We we like hung out after and got to know each other and have stayed in touch. Anyway, Patrick's awesome, and Connor is too. I'm so glad both of them could could be here to join me for this particularly fun episode. Also, I've gathered all of our zip codes and used internet resources like native-land.ca to acknowledge that I recorded this on the traditional land of the Canarsie and Lenape peoples. Acknowledge Connor recorded this on the traditional land of the Manahoke people. Acknowledge Patrick recorded this on the traditional land of the Hohokam and Akimel O'odham peoples. And acknowledge that in all of our locations, native people are very much still here. That feels worth doing on each episode. And today's episode is about gargoyles. Gargoyles are a patron-chosen topic. Many thanks to Brett Murphy for a really, really fun suggestion there, and it really took off in the poll, too. Thank you to Thomas C. and to Catherine Weedman and to other patrons for cheerleading it and, and making it happen. This show has more modern stuff than you might expect and more more colonial imperial stuff than you might expect because it's such a medieval topic, the gargoyle. Also, incredibly fun episode. We had so much fun together, you will hear the format of the podcast break a little bit. And really excited for you to hear it. Please sit back or sit in a weird crouch with your wings folded behind you. Either way, here's this episode of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating with Connor Listoka and Patrick Wyman. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. Connor, thank you so much for being here. This is so exciting. And, uh, and of course, I always start by asking guests their relationship to the topic or opinion of it. Either of you can start, but how do you feel about gargoyles? 
So uh, I did my PhD in medieval history, and so I spent a lot oh, of time. So no connection, yeah, cool. No, cool. no connect, yeah. no connection uh, at all. I, but <laughs> though, ironically, I did my very best to avoid um, going near anything that was related to the topics of gargoyles. So instead of, uh, it's, I, I did not spend very much time on cathedrals. I spent a lot of time on peasants in the countryside. Uh, I spent like people who literally never got to see a cathedral uh, or a gargoyle in their lives, uh, and and. At the very opposite end chronologically of the middle ages so i have some vague memories of reading articles about gargoyles and articles about gothic cathedrals and the purposes they served but but it was a long way from from my specialty same time period same totally. same mindsets but very very different places yeah and, and just in case people are fans of patrick's writing and history podcast you're right like i i just super want to have you on the show. I did not book you as a gargoyle expert. They're more of like an art architecture thing anyway. So, yeah. I was always, a f I mean, a fan, I would say. I'm a fan of gargoyles. And it stems from probably like a, a decent amount of trips that were probably within ages like 9 to 16 that I took where like somehow visiting cathedrals was like a major part of the trip. And so, you oh, know, wow. as a as a jaded, you know, teenage boy, the gargoyles were like the one cool thing that would separate those cathedrals from all the other places. So that was always <laughs> like, it was, it was equivalent of going to, you know, the Metropolitan Museum of Art and being like, and now here's the armor room, like <laughs> that type of thing. So I was like, well, this is, this is the sort of thing I can appreciate when you're just trying to explain to me like why this, you know, architectural marvel is you know, more important than the other three you've seen on this trip type of thing. Okay. I have one quick question since you mentioned the, uh, the arms and armor room at the Met, um, you know, that suit of armor, it, you, if you've been there recently, the suit of armor that belongs to Henry the eighth, that is just enormous. You think about how fat he must've been at that point in his life. Like it is a miracle. He managed to cram himself into that thing. Like that we're looking, we're looking at like a 48 or a 50 inch waist. Like he was like 60 years old, just, just real gross. Oh Not looking man. Good. I need to go back and check it out. Put, uh, it's, put Otis, the fat bear in the suit of armor that, <laughs> some real synergy yeah you could you could really uh like henry the eighth would have fit right in at katmai at this time of year <laughs> folks we'll link about fat bear week if you're not aware of it it's wonderful <laughs> and uh Best yeah, thing. i love it <laughs> but gargoyles also have a tremendous uh underrated video game presence too in the uh gargoyles quest and uh ghost and goblin oh. series so if i can campaign for right now to put put uh, firebrand and smash that would be my i i put that request out there <laughs> is that are those games related to the tv show that i discovered in the process of researching this and had never seen or is that a separate thing i don't think so but that was like a later edition of the disney afternoon from when i would have been watching it i think yeah you know that was post like uh the uh, one with baloo tailspin post you know post the uh <laughs> ducktail stuff so i I'm not, i won't pretend like i have any relationship to that tv show i've heard it's very good though yeah i'm i'm now two episodes in and it's like really advanced all the episodes are one continuous story and they put it on tv in the 90s when you can't just sit and watch all of it in a row oh, it's man. i'm astounded so it's really like bold. So like the two uh, serialized, t actual serialized storytelling TV shows in the 90s were Gargoyles and Babylon 5. Like that's the, <laughs> uh, that's, I mean, that looking back at things, that's, that is not how I figured we would end up in the golden age of TV. Like that's a, that's a strange origin story. Right. It's a weird butterfly effect. <laughs> Yeah, just there was some there were like a couple really advanced teens where that was all they watched, I think. And they were they were like, someday the world will catch up. They'll know. <laughs> really advanced or just they had the only uh only parents with working knowledge of how to program a VCR back in those days. <laughs> that was a real rare skill set in the nineties. There was there was weird VCR plus uh, codes in the uh, in the Washington Post TV guide that were like a six digit thing you would press in that were that was the situ that was a solution they came up with as opposed to like trying to figure out what you were doing man it's I feel like we've we've veered into the realm of eighties stand up yeah I, I, speaking of the Middle Ages am I right boy oh boy <laughs> this is some history. Eh? <laughs> I I have more or less no relationship to gargoyles i didn't see cathedrals in europe until like my early 20s and i and i think i was mostly like they're so far up there you know like i don't think i've ever seen one up close except in pictures they're just all the way at the top of the building 
that's something something I do remember from my brief <clears throat> my brief exposure to gargoyles is that that was always the question that like scholars debate about them because there's there's some thought that they're supposed to be like a teaching tool right that you're like you're teaching the illiterate masses about their religion through through a visual medium but like hmm. With a lot of the stuff that's there in the cathedrals or, or big monasteries, even some churches, like it's a long way up. Like, how are you going to use that as a teaching tool? Like, if it's dark inside, like, yeah, you're going to like, how are you going to show this to them? Like, what what meaning could could a somebody who has terrible eyesight uh, and is 60 <laughs> feet away going to get from this from this image? Like, that's that's a question scholars always ask. I, I mean, when you analyze these things as, a, as an academic and you're looking at these up close pictures and you're really trying hard to, like, get at the hidden meaning of it and like maybe they just thought it looked cool like that's that's always a possibility <laughs> and where were they lacking for for visual depictions of stories of religion in those days i mean that's that was wasn't that 99 percent of paintings at that point in time either just enormous <laughs> it, right. it was but but there's like one of the things about religion in the middle ages is that like there's a real question as to how christian the populace actually was like a lot of people um. like so depending on where you are like 90 percent of the populace lives out in the countryside someplace right and you've got maybe you've got a little parish church in the village maybe you go there once a month for mass maybe you go there like oh there's a wandering preacher coming through and there's going to be a real good party you can get real drunk um you're gonna have a great time at the party <laughs> but like how much actual religious instruction is happening there um I mean, like, I'm kind of jo I'm, I'm kind of joking about it, but it's also like a lot of people, their exposure to, to what we think of as religion would have been fairly limited. And oh, yeah, like your village priest is probably it may be illiterate. Um, he may be a drunk. He may have he may have a secret wife and like six children hanging out, <laughs> running around the running around your parish church like most people are not getting like a strong background in religious instruction, you know, like that's much more a product of, of the early modern period than it is the Middle Ages. Oh wow! Is that does that fit in with the thing I think I've heard where in the Reformation they started to put the the religious texts in people's actual languages in Europe instead of Latin? Yes. And so so yeah, then exactly. especially you're sitting in a pew and just someone is speaking a language you don't understand and you're like I don't yeah. know I guess I'll look at the art all right. Yeah, cool, cool as hell. Yeah, yeah, we're having it. We're having a great time here. Like, and you got to think like. Again, a lot of them would just would not have gone that often. They go, you go at Christmas, you go at Easter. Maybe you roll in a little bit at, at a couple other times. And when you read medieval like pastoral care texts, they are constantly exhorting the clergy to like get out there and do their job, which is supposed <laughs> to be like looking after the the souls of their the souls of their flocks. And that's why you end up with the mendicant orders, the like the the Franciscan friars, Dominicans, like these wandering preachers, is because the thought was that the regular clergy were not doing their actual job. Like they oh, were wow. not actually do going out there and, and talking to people and like caring for their souls in the way they were supposed to. So when we're thinking about gargoyles and cathedrals and what have you, like this always has to be the background. It's like they were really concerned. They really wanted people to, to like save their souls. Like that was a genuine concern. Um, but there's also like, how much logistically can we actually do about this? I like the idea of there being a, a, you know, a series of presentations like on Mad Men where they were like, all right, how are we going to save people's souls? And one guy comes in and he's like, we should translate the Bible into the languages they actually speak. And the guy he was going next was going to present, build some gargoyles. <laughs> he's like, I, I left something in my wagon. I'm going to go and like revamp my entire well, presentation. But, but for 300, but for like 300 years, they would have been like, okay, we're going gargoyles. We're going gargoyles. Like let's leave the, we're not doing vernacular. We're not doing that. Like, do you, do you really want them all knowing what's actually in the book? Probably not. Like that's the gargoyles yeah. are ways. It's going to be another three crusades before they figure out a better way to teach people the gargoyles. I swear to God, <laughs> put all your money. Exactly. Plus, the gargoyles deal with water runoff. Like that's they serve an architectural purpose. Like, if, if like yeah. what else? What else are you going to do with a vernacular Bible? You use it for kindling. Like <laughs> that does sound like that salesman grasping at straws. Uh, yep, yep. It's a gutter too. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that uh, you know, this is exciting. I'm going to break the format of the show a little bit. Uh, normally, we start with like a quick set of stats and numbers. We'll get to that later. Uh, but since you guys mentioned it, I think we can get into takeaway number one. Takeaway number one, technically a gargoyle has to be a water drain. 
I did not know that at all until researching it. And like the dictionary definition, technical architectural definition of a gargoyle is that it is part of the water drainage system of a building. It can't just be a statue of a funky thing. Because if it's if it's not serving as a drain, it's just it's it's like a grotesque, right? It's yeah. like it's it's a separate thing. Yeah, it's called a grotesque or possibly a chimera. Yeah, those are the the like other names for it. So there's like a lot of the stuff I found. It was like, can you believe there's a Darth Vader gargoyle at the National Cathedral in Washington D.C. And there is a like a Darth Vader head on the building, but it doesn't drain any water. And so other people are like, actually, it's a grotesque. Get out of here. Oh man! So yeah, out of the this is a great opportunity for for pedantry into the uh, into people's <laughs> correcting people about gargoyles. <laughs> Uh, I really want to see. I really want to see the Wikipedia, uh, the Wikipedia editors debate about this. Like, I just want to. I want to dive in there and see. Go back, look at the back and forth. See what. See what people have to say. It'll be uh, five times longer. The talk page for that will be five times longer than you know the page for Martin Luther or something. <laughs> it's like the, like the bodybuilding dot com forum where they were arguing about how many days are in a week. That's what the <laughs> is. Wario a libertarian of our time. <laughs> Why do they have to introduce that uh, distinction? The descriptive distinction is mostly just people wanting wanting to be specific about words, but it turns out the the architectural function is incredibly crucial. One source here is a book called How to Read a Church by lecturer and writer Richard Taylor, and he says that the medieval churches that first had gargoyles, they built projecting water spouts into their roof systems in order to throw rainwater like completely clear of the sides of the building. And uh, some architects proceeded to make them like fun faces and bodies and other things, and then you get gargoyles. But it turns out that was incredibly crucial, because otherwise, especially over centuries, if you want this cathedral to last forever, the rainwater will erode the stone, it can get into cracks and then freeze and make the cracks worse. Like, gargoyles were an architectural gutter system basically to preserve these buildings for you know theoretically all of time i'm glad that's always been a concern of you know speaking of 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 guys medieval types of guys patrick the because we moved into our first home that we own in february and the idea of the gutters and then leaking into the foundation has become like my my pressing concern <laughs> whenever it rains oh. so you can imagine the the medieval guy who just like you know every time it rains starts looking at it as gutters to see how far it's actually getting from his house <laughs> yeah that's that that would have been a that would have been a constant concern especially because most people are living in homes that are built of some combination of stone mud uh, and, uh, and like, like often reads, uh, like, or, or like, so, so when we're, when we're talking about these houses, there's going to be a fair bit of continuous rebuilding. And when you, when you excavate, like, I'm thinking more like iron age houses, but it would have been true in medieval houses too. You can often see the, like the, the place the edge around the outside of the building where the water sluiced off the roof, huh. like, cause it, it happened often enough. It leaves a distinct impression in the soil. Wow. So yeah, they, people, People weren't dumb. They they knew these things. And the speaking of types of guy, also like medieval cathedral builders, that would have been a very distinct type of guy. Like like I'm gonna do this thing. We're gonna build this building that's going to take several lifetimes to complete. So I will not be involved. At, at I will probably not see this finished. And I'm going to spend literally my entire life on this job site. That's a type of guy. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, I, that's it's one of the fascinating things about cathedrals to me is that like is that they took so long to build because you compare them to like a pyramid, right? So cathedral like Gothic cathedrals were the tallest buildings built on the planet after the pyramids. So the pyramids reigned supreme for 3000 years is the tallest buildings on the, on earth. But like the pyramids were built um, over the course of a single ruler's reign and mm -hmm. sometimes even less time than that. So you could even, even the great pyramid didn't take longer than like 25 years to build, but a Gothic cathedral could take 150 years to complete it. I mean, they're still working on La Sagrada Familia in Barcelona right now. Like, oh, wow. so this is an incredibly long-term process. It speaks to a very different way of understanding time and your place in it, I think. Yeah, literally, it's it's the literal version of that concept of, I'm going to build a foundation for society. Like, no, I'm I. these <laughs> yeah. are the stones. I brought them in. And on top, we'll have some funky carvings that, that keep the walls from eroding. That's the plan. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if you're going to spend all that time building the thing, like, you're not going to let it get ruined by a little bit of water. Yeah. <laughs> 
But it also is cool that they made things that were fun in the same sense that, you know, you buy a uh, you buy a, a thing that stores your garden hose in it that looks like, a, you know, a, a keg or something. I don't know, just a, a funky <laughs> thing you get from the from the sharper image catalog that makes it look like a, a, a rock or something that, that wow. you, you had that level of uh, that level of whimsy, I guess, going on with these 150 year projects. Yeah, I, n- I never thought of them that way. But now I'm thinking of gargoyles as like tap handles at bars like some bars it's just a regular <laughs> handle but then other ones it's like oh we got the funky mermaid one from from the san diego brewery for their beer and it's like oh he's pulling on a fun handle all right yeah cool <laughs> all right in general there's a tendency to think of the middle ages as being pretty dreary Mm. Medieval people also, like, they did have senses of humor. There were things that they found amusing. They thought that uh, they thought that jokes about uh, bodily functions were hilarious. Like, medieval people were really into uh, fart jokes and things of that <laughs> nature. Um, they it was they had kind of an earthy sense of humor. They there were all, a lot of other like less savory things that they thought were hilarious. Also, like, there's a there's a whole genre of like rape is funny medieval French thing uh, uh, ah. things, and so but. But like they did have a sense of humor. There were things that they thought were funny and they did think that like funny faces were funny like that. That amused them. You know, it's like they it's not like they were just going through life like, you know, like streaked peasants in a, in a Monty Python, you know, like they did. <laughs> like they did enjoy themselves at various points. Yeah, I love that. And I I love that gargoyles are like a signal of it. This is not intended as a joke, but one source here is is CBS Sunday morning interviewed a bunch of experts about them. And Janetta Rebold Benton, who's a professor of art history at Pace University, says, just as a definition, quote, a gargoyle officially must spew water or be able to do so, end quote. And the word spew is funny to me. Like that even, it just, it fits the vibe, I think. It's it's these hilarious carvings that are a silly version of gutters. Great. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I, I, there's a lot to be said for... Uh, for that kind of for building that kind of whimsy into the grandest monuments of your society like if if yeah. a gothic cathedral is really the pinnacle of kind of medieval christendom um the fact that it has real funny things to spew water out is like that that speaks to the kind of the heart of what the civilization is every bit as much as like the soaring buttresses do right like that's like that's giving you a direct insight into into the kind of the like the social psychology that that underlies it wow it makes you wonder what are the things they would have done if they had the technology because like you know putting like a novelty doorbell on the cathedral or something like that that played like who let the dogs out or something like they, <laughs> they couldn't do that but maybe they would have if they had more things to do than just carve stone that spewed water i mean i'm imagining a i'm imagining a, a gregorian chant of who let the dogs out just <laughs> <laughs> has let the dogs out <laughs> Just some some really haunting plane song uh, uh, covering the Benga Boys. <laughs> Man, love talking about art. Am I right? Uh, the great works yes. of society. Uh, so I'm on record as not enjoying my 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 privileged trips to see gargoyles. I mean, to cathedrals as a teenager, but right. uh, Venga Boys and, and Baja Men, bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> that's what i love to sit around and talk about yeah well look when, when you can combine the two isn't that really the best of both worlds hey there we go let's get a concept album boys that's high, that's high and low culture meeting in the middle yeah the venga men yeah <laughs> <laughs> the... <laughs> one uh and one last thing with this technical division it turns out there's a fun clue about the purpose of gargoyles in their name and especially if you speak Latin or French, it's, it, you maybe know this. And this is Richard Taylor's book. He says that the word gargoyle comes from the Latin word gurgulio, which means throat. And that's also a root shared with the word gargle. And so even the name of them in the, in the language that it comes from is speaking to this is specifically for water shooting out of it. Like it's not just a cool statue of a winged demon or whatever. But it's such a perfect word for a statue of a winged demon. Like, That's if true. they were named something else, it just would be so lame. If, I don't know if they were called, you know, Fun Boys or something. I'm not sure. Like, but... Just spitballing here. Just spitballing here. Right. Or uh, look at the winged demon, Brian. It's like, no, I don't know. It needs to be... Right. Firebrand. It's right there. <laughs> but you said they were called, Patrick, you said they were called grotesques if they're not 
spewing water, that's, right? That's my understanding. If it's a purely architectural feature, yeah, yeah. The, then yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fancy. But so they, they both work. They both, you know, they both describe that thing perfectly. And I guess they've come to mean that because of <laughs> that's the word that we know them by. But it does seem to fit really well. It it seems fairly guaranteed to me that medieval people would have found the spewing water part of it to be hilarious. Like, he's spitting <laughs> water out of his mouth! <laughs> That's, I mean, that would, that would seem, in, in my, in my professional opinion, as a, as a scholar of the Middle Ages, I feel like we can pretty much guarantee that. I mean, I think it's hilarious too, for that matter. Like, look at, look at that guy. That guy, he's spitting water at us. What's he doing up there? <laughs> It would have been great to be a medieval comedian when there were like three funny things like farting, spitting water, and you know, uh, the, the the mayor falling into mud off of his horse or something. You could you could really just go out there and play the hits for people from town to town. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the shared culture of the Middle Ages right there. Like that's 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 medieval popular culture is just, you know, laughing laughing at la- that did you see that Jeff fell in the mud again? <laughs> like, he, he was clearing out the Lord's ditches. He was tired and malnourished and he fell down. Ah, we got you. <laughs> yeah. Art. It's the best. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, sorry, I'm catching myself because we, we did break the format and now I am switching to a different part of the notes. Cause oh, man, I'm um, sorry. on all other episodes, oh, this is the best break. I love it. Uh, on all our other episodes, we start with a quick set of fascinating numbers and statistics, and we will enjoy it right now. This week, that's in a segment called, I'm the one who shares fun stats with you. Deep inside, I hope you like numbers too. Maybe there'll be charts with greens and blues. Just some visualizations of these stats for you. I, I, I... I don't know. 90s R&B? I, here's the thing. I don't think I did the tune very well. It's a song <laughs> by a band called Mr. Big that I heard for the first time oh, putting yeah. this together. I think yep. I, I think yep. like the first line I'm or two was off. I'm the one who wants to... Say it you again? That, that was the tune. I'm just going to, I'm just going to retake it for Ryan C. Thank you, Ryan C. I'm the one who shares fun stats with you. Deep inside, I hope you like numbers, too. That's more it, right? Numbers, too. Maybe there'll be charts with greens and blues. Just to visualize these stats for you. Connor, huge save. Thank you. I was way off off the melody. (laughs) Took a little while to get there, but but you stirred stirred some emotions in me. (laughs) And again, dis- distasteful of uh, cathedrals that took three centuries to build, yeah. the greatest glories to God there are, uh, able to place the the clapping part of Mr. Big from 1994. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah. this is why I, I did not uh, win on Jeopardy like Alex. Did. <laughs> I mean, look, art comes in many forms that we keep coming back to this touchstone. And... Uh... <laughs> I was also watching uh, Amityville for the Evil Escapes before this started, so it's not like I was I wasn't I wasn't writing writing, writing a future bestseller about medieval times either. That is that for Rift Tracks purposes? Am I spoiling the future? Yeah, ones? we're doing okay, a, cool. we're, we're doing a show of that in the at the end of the month. Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> it's about an evil lamp. An evil lamp. That's like almost a gargoyle, right? Like like an evil True. building yeah. feature. Well, it doesn't spew. That, it doesn't yeah. spew. <laughs> like, here we go. Uh. <laughs> I, I have a question about the evil lamp, uh, yeah. which mm. is, was the lamp born evil? Was it created evil or did it become so afterward? <laughs> God, you know, oh man, I do not know that they get into here. I mean, it's the Amityville verse. Okay. So I believe whatever mm. demon inherited that house also was then transferred, you know, into the lamp okay. when it you know, when they sort of vanquished it, I think that's sort of like it clutched onto the lamp. So, okay. but it, but also then it looks evil. You don't mm-hmm. look at the lamp and think that is not an evil lamp. It's like, <laughs> eh, so, <laughs> you know, well, so, but, you know, that's, I, I'm, I'm curious about this, like the, whether the demon corrupted the lamp and made it look evil or whether the demon thought, you know what, that lamp. <laughs> right. looks yes. pretty evil. It is like, you know, if, if the demon corrupted a gargoyle, it would be like, that makes sense. It looks evil. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So there, it, it, I think it, it had that going for it. Yeah. Well, it makes you wonder what were you thinking putting putting a lamp like that in your house in the first place? That's 
<laughs> a lot of a lot of a lot of layers to this. A lot of questions yeah. here. I mean, what are you thinking? Putting up a Darth Vader grotesque and calling it a gargoyle. People make terrible decisions. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, we have a couple of stats and numbers here, and then, then a couple more takeaways. But the first number is one hundred and two. Number one hundred and two. That's the number of gargoyles built into the Temple of Zeus at Olympia. And they probably didn't call them gargoyles or think of them as gargoyles, but it was an ancient Greek temple that had 102 lion-faced water spouts to drain water off of the building in kind of a similar way to cathedrals. So, it, you know, it's not the same kind of architecture in general, but if, if you want to, like, fudge it, kind of a gargoyle, kind of fun. Yeah, that's what it is. It's an ancient Greek temple, and uh, they didn't want the water out of it. So that's their deal. I was just trying to think if Zeus had ever appeared as a lion as he tried to, you know, have sex with anything. Oh. You know, so I, that, whether that was like a, it tied into his whole his whole deal. I mean, yeah, look, Zeus was immortal. The chances of him not having appeared as a lion in an attempt to have sex with something are very low. Like, that's like, <laughs> dude's been around for a long time. Just based on sheer probability, at some point he has tried to perform the act of coitus in lion form. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like he saw that scene in The Lion King where it's real romantic, and he was like, that'd probably work. <laughs> or he saw the scene where the, the dust spells out sex, and he was then he was inspired subliminally to go and do it. <laughs> <laughs> My kids went through a real big Lion King phase, uh, and oh. we, they, watched, they watched The Lion King, honest to God, probably 60 times. Uh, so there's... I, I, We've got a lot. We've we've got a lot of Lion King going on in this household, and gets surprising. It gets surprisingly sexual in that one little scene. Like yeah. you, you really can feel. Uh, you you can feel the love. It's 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 uh, it's it's incipient. I would say. And aren't Pumbaa and Timon watching them the whole time yes. and like lamenting the fact that his yeah yeah there's they're, a, they're being the bros are being left behind. There's a strong yeah. voyeuristic aspect to this. It's um yeah. Do they do they get female counterparts in the uh, in the later editions like the direct to video Lion Kings? Is there like a female Pumbaa? Because that seems like that's sort of Disney oh. law, right? You have mm -hmm. to you know pair off and you have to have that. I would like to if that doesn't exist. Well, I mean it exists somewhere on the internet, but I would like to see the official version of that if it does. What, what is the is there a wiki for the Lion King expanded universe? <laughs> <laughs> when next number here next number here is the six hundreds A.D. And the 600s AD is the century when, according to French legend, a saint created the first gargoyle. This is one legendary origin story for them. And it's coming from a great New Yorker piece by Casey Sepp. In the 600s AD, there was supposedly a dragon that spewed water instead of fire. And it was running around France, flooding farms and attacking villages and eating virgins specifically. And then a local French priest named Romanus fights and kills the dragon then he tries to dispose of the dragon's body by burning it but the the head part won't burn away it's made of too hard of a material and then after a while he ends up putting it on top of his church and like the skull head basically water flows through it in a drainage kind of way hell and then we yeah. get gargoyles according to the legend that's metal wow. that's metal as hell yeah no it's pretty kidding. good yeah <laughs> I was. Yeah. I thought it was, was going to sound lame as hell because a saint creating the first gargoyle is, you know, a lot of other miracles are like did this, like made you know water into wine type of thing. Whereas a gargoyle, anyone, you know, a guy can do that. Like guys do do that, <laughs> but that's much cooler in that uh, in that sense that he they had to slay it and then transform its head into the thing. <laughs> like lots of lots of medieval saint stories are like that. And my favorite thing was when they would go back and decide which saints were real and which ones weren't. Which ones where they just were where they just like made up a saint to go along with a cool story. Because if you wanted to tell a cool story, there had to be a saint involved. So. Uh like yeah. periodically they would go through and be like, no, this local saint that you guys really like, the one who killed the dragon and put its head on the church to be the gargoyle, that guy wasn't real. We're not going to worship him anymore. No more, no more cult of St. Romanus and his dragon head. We're not doing that one. Oh. Um, there were, there were medieval saints cults for all sorts of things. Like there was one for a, a very loyal dog, um, a, do <laughs> a saint dog. 
Uh, <laughs> and there were all sorts of ones where it's like this this local guy that everybody really likes. Well, he must have been a saint. OK, we're going to get a little local pilgrimage going. We've got his relics over there. Actually, those are dog bones. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of that in the Middle Ages. Oh, and people used to like they would fake relics. Um, so there was a, wow. a booming trade in relics. They would fake relics to sell them. Like, yeah, that was all part of like the weirdness of the Middle Ages. That's so this did I don't know if either of you grew up Catholic, but I did. And like we would get little calendars of all the saints. And I love the idea that those all passed an audit at some point. They like some they did. They've passed they've passed several audits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, imagine thinking you've got a saint's finger and it turns out to be like a dog's foot or something. That, <laughs> like, that happened all the time. Well, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and like you're telling me that I built a gold reliquary for right. a goat for for a piece of goat skull that we we built the, we can't tell anybody like looks human to me or you turn it on its head and be like well we worship the goat now like the goat <laughs> uh the, he he killed the dragon he was that, he was an amazing goat yeah, like, we, yeah. We, he, jeff jeff the goat he really got out there he really got after thank you jeff for protecting our community <laughs> i'm also i'm imagining this conversation happening in front of like sad tourists who came all this way you know, like the station wagons outside they're modern for some reason but like as a station wagon and and dad mom two kids like what you're, you're telling me we you're telling me we walked all the way through the pyrenees to see a goat skull that's yeah. that we, we did this this whole pilgrimage that's what, what are we getting for a souvenir uh okay so here's here's a fun uh, medieval souvenir fact for you because they did make souvenirs um, to go al- to go oh, along with wow. these pilgrimages, Gutenberg, the inventor of the printing press, his first large scale uh, project, like where he borrowed money and was trying to set up like an industrial process to to mass produce a thing, uh, was to make mirrors for um, a, a, a like a pilgrimage. And the idea was that if you took the mirror in to look at the relics and you caught the reflection of the relic, then you would get some of its kind of holy power to take away with you. Except Gutenberg got the date of the uh, got the date wrong, so they made all of these mirrors uh, like a year too early, and they had nobody to sell them to. <laughs> oh man, it's a tough it was break. like an error card. <laughs> yeah, just a t- tough break for Gutenberg. <laughs> Wait, so you had to look at them in the mirror because you it would be you would be like indiana jones if you looked at them full no, on you could look what... at them full on that was fine but if you wanted to take it with you away you held up the mirror to the relic and you when it caught the reflection oh. of the relic uh. then it would carry that away so you took the mirror away and you had a little bit of the the, the holiness of the no relic. one's ever going to devise a better system for capturing visual representations of things you saw on vacation <laughs> 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 yeah we, you we, set down your family and make them look at it when you get back like uh, all i <laughs> a slideshow all i see is myself um you're telling me the relic is in here i will believe you but uh what does this date say is that a year no never mind slideshow's over <laughs> <laughs> man gutenberg what a clown yeah. <laughs> also went bankrupt printing books. Uh, did a lot of bankruptcy, that guy. <laughs> Practically everybody who tried uh, printing books early on went bankrupt and went out of business. Like it took it took yeah. like a half a century or more to find a viable uh, business model for, for printing. Well, you were asking people to probably spend their, their year's earnings on, you know, the latest mm-hmm. Tom Clancy book or whatever. <laughs> and then they're like, I forgot I couldn't even read. Oh, like, <laughs> <laughs> well, like people, well, because they had no idea what people actually wanted to read. They had no idea where the people lived who would buy the books. Mm. Uh, so you could end up with like 500 copies that took you a year to make of a book that nobody was going to read. And oh, yeah, like all the books fell into the river as we were as because uh, the bridge because the bridge collapsed that's a thing that happened um so like yeah uh gutenberg i think the reason why gutenberg went bankrupt it's not entirely clear but he probably cheated his business partner uh like he was supposed to pay him back for the initial loans that it had taken to um to like cut the type and and set up the press and yeah he cheated the guy uh kept the money and then the guy uh sued him Gutenberg lost all of the Gutenberg lost all of the stuff and the guy, the, the investor uh, then hired somebody else to work for him who was much more successful than Gutenberg. 
using G- Gutenberg's type and everything. I mean, in in Gutenberg's defense, he lacked any access to, you know, some kind of text with morals in it and stories about how to be a good person. <laughs> so he had no ability to be guided. Yeah, he, how could he have yeah. known? <laughs> You're talking about the art of the deal, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, how to win friends and influence people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, next, uh, there's just a couple more numbers here, and they're very modern. The next one is 1991. It's the year 1991. And that is... Mr. Big. <laughs> I think that's close, actually, yeah. Uh... Um, 1991 is the year when renovators added a xenomorph gargoyle to a Scottish abbey. And I sent you guys a picture of it, but it's uh, this is like the alien type from the Alien franchise that started in in 1979 oh. with the Alien movie. Uh, but it said an abbey Ooh. from the 1100s in Scotland, and renovators needed to replace 12 of the 13 gargoyles at the abbey, and they they had fun with it. They made one of them just shaped like a, a chestburster. That's amazing. Yeah, it's <laughs> so cool. <laughs> it rules. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, you compare that to the to the woman who redid the uh, uh the painting of in in Italy, was that where it was where she tried to retouch it? <laughs> I was uh, I was a, I think it was in Spain. Yeah, that's these guys did a better job of uh, of updating the, this cathedral's look, I'd say. Yeah. Well, it's ex- it's extremely on brand. That's exactly what a gargoyle is supposed to be. It's supposed yeah. to be something something cool. Yeah, and kind of funny and and imaginative. Yeah, it's it fits. Was it contra? Was it was it a controversy at all when they did this, or was it just uh, you know have at it, guys? Atlas Obscura is my source here, and they do not describe any controversy coming of it. Yeah, I, I think people okay. were either cool about it or or I missed it. Yeah. The other one was Vanilla Ice, and since it was 1991, that was a bit more controversial. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Yeah, they they didn't like that the the that one of the gargoyles played stop hammer time. It's, it's hammer time <laughs> every time water flowed through it. <laughs> wow. And the the last number here is the following year, 1992. And 1992, this is technically a grotesque thing, not a gargoyle thing. I just really like it. In 1992, renovators at the Salamanca Cathedral in Spain added a grotesque of an astronaut. They decided, <laughs> let's just do an astronaut on the side of the building. And Atlas Obscura says an urban legend developed where like some local huh. people claimed that the the medieval builders of the cathedral like predicted the space program. You know, <laughs> and, and it was a bunch of Nostradamus type <laughs> stuff popped up around it. It's not true. It's just renovators of cathedrals will put in wild art like this. They predicted us faking the moon landing. Stunning. <laughs> <laughs> Little stone Kubrick just rolling, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> I think I went, that was one of the ones I think I saw on the uh, senior, uh, sophomore year of high school class trip to Spain. I think we went to the Salamanca oh. thing. I think they also have a famous frog on that cathedral. Um, I, may, I may be incorrect about that, but I was trying to remember some of the things I had things seen carved into that. And I think that was a, a wall that they made us stand in front of and look at for a long time. I do not remember the astronaut, though. Yeah, kind of all of these are Easter eggs. Like, it's so easy to... Like I've probably been to a cathedral that had like SpongeBob on top or something, and I just didn't notice. You know, like like I'm sure this is happening all the time. Yeah, I'm looking it up. It does have a frog, but it's also like it's very that would be very tiny if you were down there because it's an it's a massive wall. So, um, yeah, telling a telling a high school student that like there is an astronaut up there, you're gonna have to take my word from it is not the uh, <laughs> not the fascinating experience you might uh, you might have if you had like a, a set of opera glasses or something. Yeah, I mean, I feel like trying to get a 16 year old to do anything right. is is an extremely difficult task. Like trying to get them to focus on a on an image on a wall, like. <laughs> I'm too horny. I can't do it. It's like every boy at that age. Like, come exactly. on. That's uh, I I mean I wasn't going to say it, but yeah, that's 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 essentially it. I've I've multiple times done a done a performance of a show where I have a poem that me and two other guys wrote to the other girls on that trip that we like slipped under their door one time that is like exactly what you did that. It's like witnessed all these wonders, cathedrals, like sites we'll never see again in our lifetimes, but no, it's like, yeah, we're just kind of horny, so we're going to make Austin Powers jokes and slip them under the uh, the girls into the girls room at night that, that's that's being 16 yeah. put austin powers on the salamanca wall you cowards he's he's paid his dues 
yeah, that uh, well, a fembot would be a yeah. great gargoyle. <laughs> Do I drain your water, baby? Yeah, <laughs> is the writing beneath it, obviously. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> off of that, we are going to a short break, followed by a whole new takeaway. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! It's hard to explain what happens on Jordan Jesse Go. So I had my kids do it. Saying swear words. Saying swear words. Yeah, um, bad jokes. Bad jokes? Bad jokes. Maybe it's like you tell people that you're going to interview them and then you just stay there like, like really quiet and try and creep them out. <laughs> it's just really boring. Because of Jordan, right? Not me. Because of both of you. Oh. Subscribe to Jordan Jesse Go, a comedy show for grown-ups. Well, uh, there's another big takeaway for the main episode, and look, it's going to be a tonal shift, but this is about more modern gargoyles. Uh, it takes us into takeaway number two. Australia's main war memorial features racist gargoyles of First Nations people with one modern modification. And I, I know that was a long one, so one more time. Australia's main war memorial features racist gargoyles of First Nations people with one modern modification. Patrick, I'm sure you have a guess about what this might be on to this delicate topic of, oh, I'll make a funny thing after you've explored this. Uh... I, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, am, I, I got nothing. I got nothing here. This is a story, the, the main sources are theconversation.com, which is a heavily researched Australian site, and then also the Canberra Times, and then the website for this thing. It's called the Australian War Memorial, and it's the main war memorial for the country of Australia. It's in a suburb of Canberra, the capital. There's also there's a wrinkle with it where they planned it as a World War I memorial, but they didn't really get construction going until the 1930s. And then they realized there were going to be more wars. And so they changed it to be for all the wars, <laughs> which maybe has happened other places with other memorials. That's interesting to me in general. I remember an Encyclopedia Brown uh, story where the, the Bugs Meaty was confirmed not to have a sword from the first Battle of Bull Run because it had the first Battle of Bull Run inscribed onto it. And so Encyclopedia <laughs> Brown did some quick thinking and realized they would not have had that uh, imprinted on it if, it if they had known there was going to be a second one. Yeah, right, I mean, right. <laughs> the irony of the war to end all wars being the first er, being the lesser of the two great conflicts of the 20th century is not lost on anyone. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we've gotten around yeah, the war the memorial part. Where how does it get racist? What happened is this war memorial has things that are actually technically gargoyles. There are 26 stone carvings of faces that are drainage systems like the mouth is a water spout and it's not shaped like a cathedral but they're in the walls and they're for drainage of water in the building and they were made by william leslie bowles he was a white australian sculptor born in 1885 and his idea for this was i'm going to make each gargoyle a different part of australian nature and hmm. so he proceeded to do uh, there are 26 gargoyles on it. He did 24 different animals. Like there's an emu and a kookaburra and a kangaroo and stuff. And then the other two are a male native person's face and a female native person's face. Ooh. And they're caricature and they're not great. It's what you think. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at them and uh, yeah, they're, they're, that's real racist. 
Yeah. Uh, it, leaving, leaving aside the context in which they appear, which is also racist, also deeply, <laughs> deeply and inherently racist, um, the images themselves also super racist. Not great. It's not a great look. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's it's treating native people of Australia as animals and dehumanizing them, and so so it's it's pretty cut and dried. It's it's not a good thing at all. Uh, and this this memorial opened in 1941, among other things. The writer Lisa Barrett Isles, writing for the Conversation, she points out that the memorial opened in 1941, and Australia did not give voting rights or citizenship to Indigenous Australians until 1967. Uh, also, there were like active military operations against Australia's indigenous per- people by their government after World War One. It's it's very sad. It's an entire history of native people being exploited and killed and, and put through horrible things. So are they still up there? Yeah. And so then the carvings are still there. And this goes back to that definitional thing of a gargoyle has to be for drainage. Yeah. Otherwise, Paul Hogan will say that's not a gargoyle. Oh, <laughs> Sorry. If no, if he would pop in and bring some joy, that would be something. <laughs> That'd be great. No, but so unfortunately, this war memorial didn't really look into changing these until 2014, and because they needed to just do like renovation of the the gargoyles, like there was too much water going through them, and they needed to like redo them, and and then people said, hey, while you're doing that change this this is terrible like obviously (laughs) fix this um but then also a debate sprang up around uh and it it reminds me of a thing at the um natural history museum in new york where there's a like pretty racist statue of teddy roosevelt out front where he's being served by a native american and an african person uh and some people said leave it up to like demonstrate the racism of the past and others said it's just too racist take it down um, but the way yeah, this these war, are your standard statue arguments. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, a lot of statue arguments. Yeah, all, all over <laughs> the U.S. We're very familiar with it. But uh, the the way the memorial came down is they said we're going to leave these up, but we're going to make the the two native person face gargoyles not part of the drainage system anymore. Uh. And in that way, we <laughs> distinguish them as different from these animals, and it's no longer so much of the bad thing was their decision with it problem solved yeah <laughs> that's, that's oh, and, and connor that, that connor strikes... was like brushing his hands off he was not clapping that uh, should be oh, yeah. clear right. for yes, the audio yes, <laughs> uh, that, uh, that that strikes me as a, a very australian solution to that specific issue like yeah uh based on based on what i know of australian politics that seems very of a of a piece <laughs> yeah yeah, it's like I I find it inadequate, but it's it's what they've decided to do, and uh, and there is that argument of like we leave this here so we don't hide our crimes from the future. Like I, I, there's a lot of ways to look at it, but according to the website, quote, they were not fitted with drainage points and are therefore no longer referred to as gargoyles, but are referred to as architectural bosses. End quote. So apparently okay. they're, right. well, that's, they're that's not one... even grotesques. They're this cool term I've never heard of before, architectural bosses. That is a cool, very cool name. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say everything about that seemed like a very half, half-assed way to go about it, but they, they did attempt to stick the landing with architectural bosses. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if you go like going from a gargoyle to a grotesque, I'm not sure that's an improvement right. on the race, on the racism. <laughs> no. <front>. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this term existed before, but they made a point of it on their, their website and their stuff. Yeah. And the, the last takeaway of the show is much more lighthearted. So let's get into it. Takeaway number three. Allegedly Disney considered turning the gargoyles TV show into a massive global entertainment franchise. Uh, <laughs> I like that that's something you can consider. Yeah, they. Uh, this is like, it's a 1990s animated show about gargoyles that go on adventures and come to life at night. And it was almost like a Marvel Cinematic Universe level project for Disney. But just the idea that they can flip a switch and then make that happen is, is a very daunting <laughs> thing for uh, for what <laughs> art means these days. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I mean it's it's pretty and in, in that sense it's pretty meta right because it's it would be commercialized art about whimsical art on cathedrals like that, there's a lot a lot going on there <laughs> oh yeah yeah wow 
it's it's this car goes all the way down great yeah <laughs> <laughs> they decided not to do it because that one guy who made the presentation about gargoyles they would have had to pay his great 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 grandchildren the uh <laughs> that's i mean if if we're looking at disney's reasoning for something i think that may have been a deciding factor <laughs> it turns out they're not in the public domain the idea of gargoyles <laughs> <laughs> Frank Gargoyle of uh, Antwerp or something owns the uh, owns the race. <laughs> the Gargoyle, uh, the Gargoyle lineage is owned by a uh, fail son with a ponytail or something like that who just jets around <laughs> in Biza. And... <laughs> Man, I feel like there's a great uh, a lim- limited knowledge of this Gargoyle's uh, cartoon by us. I'm, I'm sorry that I, I couldn't bring anything to the table for it. No, it. I I had like heard of it i think i heard of it for the first time when like this past year i started watching avatar the last airbender and it came up on lists of like other very advanced cartoons for teenagers and children where there's a continuous story and dark themes and stuff because i i had not Hmm. seen it but i think uh people who saw it it was on tv from 1994 to 1997 also uh split between the disney channel and abc and apparently some difficulties with time slots and things but this was like a a very ambitious cartoon show about uh, gargoyles from a castle in Scotland who get transplanted to the top of a skyscraper in New York City. And then they have to have adventures and like figure out the city in the modern day. So they're sort of like the uh, the flying gremlin in Gremlins 2 who ends up like, you know, on the on the <laughs> cathedral. You know what I'm talking about? He gets cement poured on him and that's how he ends up there. Oh, I haven't seen Gremlins too, no. but that's amazing. Great. I love it. <laughs> it. It was just a very big commitment to gargoyles based entertainment for kids. Like, I, cause I think they feel the way we talked about with, with us visiting churches. Like I'm, I'm a kid and I'm hungry or I'm a teenager and I'm distracted by the other gender I'm already, or, yeah. that I care about, you know, like it's, yeah. Yeah. I'm, how how relatable are gargoyles? If you're looking to make a mass media franchise, like, is that really going to be your entry point? to this whole thing right right yeah the near miss here and this is this is coming and take this with a grain of salt because it's coming from greg weissman who was a co-creator of the show so he might be overstating how likely this was (laughs) to dominating the globe in terms of the next big ip (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) but the it is like i can see how the near miss works and, and the the timeline adds up so the show starts out as a pretty big ratings hit for what it is and also sells a bunch of action figures. And then, according to Greg Weissman, interview with Polygon.com, he was in a meeting at Disney in the mid-90s where the executives, the, the agenda for the meeting was, should we buy Marvel Comics? Should we, Disney, in the mid-90s do this? And, of course, they will do that in, in our time now, but... Uh-huh. Uh, it was like, should we buy this kind of struggling, failing comic book brand uh, that that is out there? And according to Weissman, Disney chairman Michael Eisner was talked out of it in the meeting, which is still wildly ironic to me. So Eisner said, well, Warner Brothers has DC Comics. We need to have an action universe like DC or Marvel. And he turned to me and said, could we use Gargoyles as the <laughs> launching pad for a Disney action universe? And I said, yes, end quote. So there was a meeting where they literally, they, they said, our Marvel Cinematic Universe could be gargoyles. Let's just blow it out. Let's do it. Wow. <laughs> what an incredible alternate universe that is. Ah, and just imagine the other low tier children's entertainment from that. Like Michael Eisner, like, you know, solemnly turning to the creator of Street Sharks and saying that. <laughs> You know, <laughs> right? There were so many kind of random cartoons during the day in the '90s. Like any any of them could have been the the creator in the room. Any of them, yeah. Right, it was the gargoyles. Game. Yeah, and it, and it's probably just by by sheer. Obviously, there's some level of of quality going into it, but like it's probably just by sheer marketing that you make something into what it's going to be. You know, Ninja Turtles type of thing. Like that was just <laughs> that was by force of will. Um, <laughs> that it became as big as it did. Yeah, wow. Like, like you're an alien. You've come to Earth. Would you predict that Gargoyles or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is going to be the bigger deal? Right? I don't right, know. Right, exactly. Maybe Gargoyles <laughs> in that situation. 
<laughs> but like Gargoyles, it doesn't seem like it even lives on as like, you know, I'm trying to think, you know, you, you've, there's all a couple of memes from like the X-Men animated series, like Wolverine looking at that picture. I don't really think of like the Gargoyles penetrates my radar the way that some other shows I've never seen do, you know, like SpongeBob is, is everywhere. I, I know things about that, even though I've never watched a frame of it, but Gargoyles, maybe just people don't have fondness for it, or maybe it's a weirder corner of the internet, but I feel like I hear more about shows like Doug than I do about Gargoyles. <laughs> You know, they're probably of similar quality and, and, and popularity. Yeah, I think you're right. And it seems like that and difficult chance are the two big reasons it didn't like take off and organically do this. Because uh, also I so I started watching it and it turns out like I was reading the interview with this creator and they asked him, what's the best episode of the show? And he was like, well, definitely the five part pilot. That's the best one. <laughs> and it, this show it's it's a it's a show that was on TV where you had to watch it when it aired and the pilot is spread across five episodes. Wow. It's like and I and it's for kids. Like I it's it's all very <laughs> ambitious to me. I don't know if it could have worked. Man. But then the other chance stuff that limited it, Weissman brings up a couple reasons that seem real. One of them is that there was a key Disney executive championing it named Frank Wells and later that year in 1994 he dies in a helicopter crash. So that like removes a, a supporter of the show, sadly. Uh, and then Michael Eisner ends up in a famous fight with Jeffrey Katzenberg at, at the executive level of Disney. And so he's distracted from this. And then the other issue is the, the cartoon airs during the day. And the following year, 1995, it starts getting preempted by local news coverage of the O.J. Simpson trial. Oh, and this man. is a show where you have to see every episode to know what's going on. And so a lot of weeks or days, they just broke in with like a murder trial instead. And so that was difficult, too. <laughs> this sounds like something that 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 a guy would 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 tell you at an airport bar when his flight was delayed, that his saga of almost inventing the, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe of gargoyles, but it was foiled by a helicopter crash. And that damn O.J. Simpson trial. Other than that, I'd be buying this whole bar drink, man. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, they've got, you know, Captain America with a shield. That's not cool. Kids would get the gargoyles are cool. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's stunning. Yeah. Yeah. So a whole for many, many, many reasons, they're not the dominant pop culture franchise in the world. But you can go see it on Disney Plus if you want to right now. It's pretty good. It's cool. Yeah. And there's always a chance they bring it back. You know, if they own that IP, if they want to if they want to decide that's the next wing of Disney World, that's (laughs) let's get that Gargoyles reboot. (laughs) Oh, oh, and and yeah, no joke. There's also a rumor that Jordan Peele thought about rebooting it. So that could have also kicked it off, but it hasn't happened. He's busy with everything else. So keep our eyes out for that one. He's a prominent <laughs> Gremlins 2 fan, as I recall. Pat, Patrick, did you work around saying keep our eyes peeled for that? Was that is that going on? I God. Yeah, I was I was trying not to do that. Uh, that was uh, I, I don't I don't know if I could have lived with myself. <laughs> <laughs> it was very deft. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> That is the main episode for this week. My thanks to Connor Lestoka and Patrick Wyman for gathering on the rooftop of this topic with me. Anyway, I said that's the main episode because there is more secretly incredibly fascinating stuff available to you right now. If you support this show on Patreon.com, because patrons get a bonus show every week where we explore one obviously incredibly fascinating story related to the main episode. This week's bonus topic is two amazing stories of gargoyle self-portraits. Visit sifpod.fun for that bonus show, for a library of more than five dozen other bonus shows, and to back this entire podcast operation. And thank you for exploring Gargoyles with us. Here's one more run through the big takeaways. Takeaway number one, technically a gargoyle has to be a water drain. Takeaway number two, Australia's main war memorial features racist gargoyles of First Nations people with one modern modification. 
And takeaway number three, allegedly Disney considered turning Gargoyles into a massive global entertainment franchise. Those are the takeaways. Also, please follow my guests. They're great. Connor Listoka is a senior writer and producer for Rift Tracks. He and his pal Michael J. Nelson co-host a very funny podcast called 372 Pages I'll Never Get Back. And his newest comic novel is called The Pole Vault Championship of the Entire Universe. Links to all of that and more are, of course, in the episode links. And speaking of stuff I'm linking, Patrick Wyman has an amazing new book. It's called The Verge, Reformation, Renaissance, and 40 Years That Shook the World. If you if you like history, you're going to love this book. Also, I hope you already know Patrick's voice from his podcast, Tides of History, or from his past podcast, The Fall of Rome, and we'll link a bunch of his excellent online writing as well. Just, uh, just really glad to have him on the show. Many research sources this week. Here are some key ones. A great article in The New Yorker called The Endurance of Notre Dame. That's by writer Casey Sepp. Also a great book titled How to Read a Church. That's by lecturer and writer Richard Taylor. Also, a lot of amazing stuff from PBS about how gargoyles drain water away from church walls and spout it away, and then tons of pictures, especially from Atlas Obscura, of astounding-looking gargoyles that you'll like to see. Find those and many more sources in this episode's links at sifpod.fun. And beyond all that, our theme music is Unbroken Unshaven by the Budos Band. Our show logo is by artists Burton Durand. Special thanks to Chris Souza for audio mastering on this episode. Extra, extra special thanks go to our patrons. I hope you love this week's bonus show about the self-portrait gargoyles hidden in the world. And thank you to all our listeners. I'm thrilled to say we will be back next week with more Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. So how about that? Talk to you then. <laughs>